in Numbers 27. And this is this particular text is um, toward the end of Moses' life. Things are kind of wrapping together here. In verse 12 of the chapter, God tells Moses, he says, I'm going to let you go up to a barn, and I'm going to let you see this land that I have decided you're not going to be able to enter in. And he tells him why. This was not news to, to Moses at all. In verse 14, he said, you had rebelled, and, and uh, this, is, this is going to be the case, but I'm going to allow you to see it. We're going to pick up reading here in verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. Thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest, before all the congregation. And he laid his hand upon him, gave him a charge, and the Lord, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Now I understand that this context is indeed Old Testament, and not everything that we read here is applicable to our day-to-day. But I would like to make application um, where we can, and uh, I would also like to look a little bit at the New Testament as we go along too. So a few observations here before we uh, um, move into the text on Moses and what he had seen as a leader um, in these 40 years. He had had a long and taxing career, if you can call it that. He had an interesting start in a boat so many years prior to this. He had killed an Egyptian in his wrath. He had spent 40 years as a shepherd. He had experienced the plagues of Egypt. He had seen God's providence in the wilderness. And he also knew the insurmountable logistics of leading this crowd of people around. And there was one time that he got cynical about the whole thing. Uh, when the people started to complain in Numbers 11 about how they, they had this lust for meat, Moses had a conversation with God about this problem. And God said, we're going to have meat. We're going to have so much meat that these people are going to be sick of meat. Moses says, God, what are you talking about? He says, shall the flocks and the herds be slain to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together to suffice them? God said, is my hand too short? Can I not do this? Is the Lord's hand waxed too short? Thou shalt see whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Moses learned a lesson. But he had an enormous task. And every once in a while, he got cynical. He had learned the absolute necessity of leaning on God for his strength. If you want to challenge sometime, read through the book of Numbers and count how many times 
it says that Moses cried unto the Lord, or that God spoke to Moses, or Moses fell on his, on his face before God. Over and over, almost every chapter, it, it has some sort of an interaction like this. He knew that he needed God. He had also learned in these 40 years that people can be extremely trying. And sometimes they are full-time contrarians. This is what got him into trouble and why he ended up not being able to enter the, the promised land as he would have so much liked to. In Numbers 20, it got to be too much. And he stood before that rock and he smote it and he said, Must I fetch water for you rebels? Must I do that? I can just almost see his face. I can almost see the veins popping. Do I have to do this for you, you rebels? Extremely trying. And I have to say, my heart goes out to Moses. I can't imagine millions of people screaming at me for water. What am I to do about this? I can, I can certainly understand how he must have felt. He had learned in these 40 years that he could not do this alone. And he was certainly humble enough to accept help. Moses' father-in-law saw this right out of the gate. He wasn't too many years in that wilderness, or maybe it was even months, weeks, I'm not sure what. But his father-in-law comes along and he said, Moses, you can't do this. You're going to have to have some help. And Moses says, you're right. I, I need help. And, and so he, he, put up, he uh, selected elders from among the people to help him. And again, during his trying time in Numbers 11, um, he had this to say to God whenever the people were crying after him for this quail, for this meat. He says to God, he says, Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou last the burden of all this people on me? I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And one more time, God tells him, he said, You're right, Moses. You recognize you have a problem. Go throughout the congregation and gather up 70 elders to help you with this thing. And Moses did that. And God put a spirit on those people, and Moses had help. He had also learned that leaders cannot exempt themselves from obedience to God. This was a bitter pill, and we, we have referred to this before. And humanly speaking, who could blame Moses for flying off the handle? Who, who could? But God said, you failed to sanctify me in the sight of the people, and for that reason, you cannot enter the promised land. Moses had not obeyed God as he should have. He had also learned that where there is a group of people endeavoring to serve God, there was a need for a leader. When one thinks about the message that God had just given him here in Numbers, he said, go up to a barn, you look at the land, but I'm not going to let you enter it. It would almost seem like the thing that would have been on Moses' mind was, why did I do that? Why did I strike that rock? God, you know, can we work out some sort of a plea bargain here, you know? Can I just get in there? But what does Moses say? His, his mind says, God, set a man over the congregation these people need help. They need a leader. He's not at all thinking about himself. He's thinking about these people that so much he has come to love 
despite all their problems. Well, there certainly are, uh, in the New Testament era, things are a a bit different, as I said before, than what they are here in Moses' time. But I would like to now move into some things that I see here during Moses' tenure as a leader that we can certainly apply to our day-to-day. And uh, I would like to just give you a few pointers of some dynamics that should be in place in any congregation for the Lord to move among that congregation and bring a man that can, uh, that can lead that congregation. Number one, the people of God need to recognize the legitimacy of godly structure in a church. Not too long ago, I was talking with a, a man that was in his... Well, he's in his 50s, I would say. And um, he told me that he attends a church, and it's, uh, it's, it's listed in the Mennonite yearbook as a Mennonite church, I guess. But they don't have any, they don't have any uh, leaders in that church. And he said, the intention is we never will. Okay. And he, uh, he continued on with his story to tell me why that that's going to be the case. And it boiled down to this, as I read between the lines. You can sometimes allow bad experiences to be your guiding light. And I think that's what happened in that particular uh, congregation there. And it does seem like in this generation that we live, um, there seems that there is a percentage of people that do not recognize the need or the legitimacy of structure and administration. And I will say that I think perhaps in some cases the authoritarian administration of former generations and coupled with the overall snubbing that the present generation tends to have toward all structure and authority, this has led to some poor thought processes. But I want to read you three verses out of the New Testament that I think should settle it for us, that that is indeed not God's intention. In Titus 1.5, Paul t- tells Titus, he says, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed you. That was Paul's instructions to, to Titus. In Acts 14, it says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord. Second Timothy 2.2, Paul says to Timothy, says, And the things that thou hast heard among, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who can teach others also. The structure we find laid out in the New Testament clearly reveals that it's God's plan for there to be leadership in a congregation. Now the question could be asked, is that ever misused? It is. Is it ever flaunted? It is. Is there caution after caution in the New Testament that we don't set up leadership like the Gentiles do? There is. But does that mean that we should not have leadership in the congregation? Absolutely not. I want you to think about this. There's something that stood out to me here recently as I was reading through this section of the Old Testament. It's interesting to me that when Joshua was about to move off the scene, and he's, he's talking to the children of Israel there in those latter um, 
parts of Joshua. There's one thing that's missing from his conversation with God and with the people. It seems like he did not have the burden that Moses did that there would be a leader to succeed him. Now you just think about that. I don't know if that's... I never thought about this much before, but perhaps if there would have been more continuity in the, in the Israelites during that time, we have the picture we have in the book of Judges where every man just does what's right in the sight of his own eyes. Could that have been avoided had there been a burden on Joshua like there was on Moses and on that successor and so on and so on? I'll leave you to think about that. All right, the Lord can set up a man when the focus is on the health and spiritual longevity of the congregation and not on personal gain. Think about it. Moses, on several occasions, had the opportunity. The Lord actually gave him the opportunity. He said, I'll wipe these guys out and start with you, Moses. Moses said, don't do that. I don't want a dynasty. You take care of these people. Think what the Egyptians will think. All these things. Moses was concerned about the people of Israel, and he wanted, some, he wanted God to set that man up. He could have said, God, um, I, I, have a, I have an idea for you here. You, you take this man here. He's a good guy. Or I have a, I have a son. How about you use him? Um, God, you know, I'll, I'll present him to you. He didn't. He said, God, I want you to set up that man. There can be a carnal temptation in all people to want to see people in places of influence that are like me or think like me or uh, will do me good. We can't think like that if we want the Lord to move. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, he says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, you are carnal. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave it to every man. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. In other words, this is God's project. Let's not get into this thing that um, this is a man's project. It is not. It is God's project. We cannot play into this I'm important mentality. Paul could have taken this and said, oh, yeah, um, you know, let, let's, you know, I am kind of a good guy here. Let's, you know, let's see how many people we can pull here in the Corinthian church to my side. He didn't do that. He said, we're the same. We're all the same here. Let's attempt to lay aside our personal biases and seek the Lord for someone in places of leadership. Another thing here I see is we have to be realistic and honest about the fact that we all have an expiration date. And that's exactly what Moses was doing here. He was being honest about the fact that he was looking at death right in the face. And it wasn't going to be too long and he was no longer going to be on the scene. We don't know when that expiration date will be, but we know it will be. And the fact of the matter is time has a way of moving on. A few years ago, I was teaching a youth class, and I said to the youth class, I said, how many here in this youth class remember when Darla and I moved into the, into the area? Not a hand went up. I felt old. I felt old real quick. You know, time just keeps moving on. I don't know what what Moses felt here, but I have a feeling he felt somewhat of a panic, somewhat of a desperation, and somewhat of a resolve that this, this problem needed to be taken care of. 
I say that to say this. It could be argued, I suppose, that at this particular moment in this particular church, there really isn't a need for another minister. But the fact of the matter is, time keeps moving. And does a, does a person want to wait till there is a need? Or do we want to put those things in place before there's an absolute need? I think God can work with people that are proactive rather than reactive. He can work with both, but I think it behooves us to be proactive. All right, another thing. God can work and bring a man when there is an attitude of service and not position. I believe that uh, overseers in any congregation or organization, and we're talking now about the church, but we should see ourselves as equals in the brotherhood. There's no, there's no position here. This is about servanthood. This is about being equals. And among the ministry as well, this is not hierarchical. This is, this is equals. I think it's a blessed thing that the Mennonite Church has had a tradition of plural ministry. I think it brings balance and perspective to the work. And I think it's, it's been a wonderful thing. I think those with responsibility should feel absolutely no, no threat from fellow ministry or from spiritually mature brotherhood or sisters. In Numbers 11, and maybe we should just take the time to turn to that real quick, because it's such a wonderful passage. But in uh, verse 24, when Moses is gathering the 70 elders together there, it says the Lord came down in a cloud there in verse 25, it says, but in verse 26, it says, two of the men remained at the camp, this Eldad and Medad, but the Spirit of the Lord rested on these people, and they went throughout the camp prophesying. And verse 27, it says, there ran a young man to Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And it turns out the man was Joshua. And then in verse 29, Moses said, envious thou for my sake? Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Now, isn't that a wonderful attitude? Moses says, I wish every one of you were prophets. That would be a wonderful thing. My job would just get exponentially easier. Okay? He, he did not care if everyone were a prophet. I think this is a... This is a, uh, an attitude that we should all have. We should, we should love to see spiritual maturity in all, in, in the whole congregation. I'm also blessed when I consider the thousands of leaders that have served unassumingly in the history of the Mennonite Church. Many, I don't know their names and you don't either. But they served their generation well and, uh, and that's what matters. All right, another point. The Lord can raise up leaders when a brotherhood is free of suspicion and false imagination of their fellow brothers who are attempting to live for God. Moses was well acquainted with this problem. He had to deal with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. He had to deal with his brother and sister. When they came and spoke to him and said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not only, has he not spoken also by us? It says, the Lord heard it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And in the passage we just read here in, in Numbers 11, Joshua comes running to Moses and says, 
hey, these people over here prophesy. They shouldn't do that. You tell them to quit, Moses. I don't know what was motivating Joshua. Was it envy? What was it? I'm not sure what it was. But for whatever reason, he was not happy, and he had some false imaginations and suspicions about these people. There is an unfortunate reality that sometimes brothers in a church can begin to falsely imagine that someone is vying for position or someone enjoys his position too well. And sometimes this is valid. But more times than not, the accusation isn't legitimate and is unfortunately rooted in jealousy or false humility and can be very hurtful and discouraging. You know, God needs men who will serve. Every generation has needed this. And I think we should foster an environment where people can serve and serve well. And um, it's unfortunate that sometimes, um, as in the case of Moses here, that, that these false accusations are, are raised up against a, a person. Let's, let's make sure we are free of that. All right. Another thing, the Lord will work in a congregation when the congregation is committed to sincere support for the one who is given the responsibility. I like it in Deuteronomy 1, whenever Moses is exhorting uh, the children of Israel that there's a transition taking place here now. He says in verse 38, he says, But Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall call Israel calls Israel to inherit it. The New Testament in 1 Thessalonians says something somewhat similar. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish them, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Moses knew full well that Joshua needed encouragement. And so he straightly informed the congregation, said, you encourage those people. And Paul says that we should respect the laborers, not because of who they are, but because of what they do. Both of these men, Moses and Paul, knew that the calling would require some work. And, it, and, he, and both men knew that there would be some uh, real benefit from encouragement. I would, I would guess that there are a few things that will tear down a church faster than when people choose not to encourage. And few things will build it up faster than when, when people choose to encourage. Just think of, um, of a person running a race. And his friends are standing along the, the course, and they're encouraging him. They're saying, run, you can do it. You know, give it all you got. It makes that person just just go a little faster. But what if they're standing there and saying, forget it, you'll never make it, you may as well just, yeah, forget it. What does that do for the person? Think about it. I wonder sometimes if the body of believers has as much to do with the success of any person with responsibility as the leader himself. And I have to say that I have been the recipient of much encouragement, and uh, I, want to, I want to thank you for that. All right, and the last one I have here is the Lord can work in a body of believers where every member is content with where he or she is called. 
It is no new information to any of us that we need new leaders. We've talked, we've talked about that. But neither is it new, new information that not nearly everybody will be called to that spot. And in fact, James in James 3 cautions against that. He says, my brethren, be not many masters. He seemed to know that this was a good idea if there wasn't too many. Everyone has his given role in life. And I think every one of us should be satisfied where God is moving and calling. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. You have it right there. Paul says, God has set these people in place. No matter where it is, God set that person where he pleased. I think it is so pleasant when people can embrace the calling that God has placed on them, no matter what that is. Um, I was recently reminded of that uh, when I was talking with an individual that was telling me that they had a, an older couple in their 60s move into their church, into their area, and he said, we really needed that couple. He said, um, he said, our church was somewhat lacking older people who were not ordained, but who were happy in the Lord, solid Christians, well-versed in the Bible, and just 100% behind the program. He said, we need those kind of people. He said, and I was so happy for what they brought to our church. There's two examples I thought of in uh, one of the old and one of the new that I think bears this out very nicely. Remember there was two people that came back from the spying out of the land that said, we can do this. We can go in and take this. It was Joshua and Caleb, right? Well, it turns out that Joshua later on is called to be the leader, right? Caleb wasn't necessarily called to that. But Caleb was as godly and sincere and as behind the program as Joshua ever was. The two were like two peas in a pot. But I like this. In uh, Joshua 14, whenever Caleb comes to Joshua, well, maybe we should just turn to that. That, that, is, that is a good, I want to make sure I get that right. They have taken the land now and... Uh, Joshua's, or I'm sorry, Caleb comes to Joshua in verse 6. And I'm going to start at verse 7. It says, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy foot Feet have trodden, shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, and has said, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spoke these words unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, and my strength was as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou 
heard us in that day how that the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him. And gave unto Caleb the son of Jephthah, Hebron, for an inheritance. I'll stop there. But what I want to bring out is, what if, what if Caleb had to, go, had to go to Joshua and say, Hey, Joshua, um, I, here's what I'd like to do, and, and give him this little paragraph on, you know, what had happened. It would almost seem like he could have bypassed Joshua. After all, it was God and Moses that had spoken to him earlier. Did he actually have to go to Joshua? But I just love how he so willingly um, honored Joshua as the leader at that point. It's such a wonderful uh, example of a person being just willing to serve where he is called. I'll give you the New Testament example, and this one's one you all know well, and that is Apollos when he's preaching, and Aquila and Priscilla are sitting in the audience listening, and they're hearing what he's saying, and they're saying, you know, Apollos is missing something. So they had two choices at that point. They could go around to everybody in the congregation and say, don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, let's shun him. No, instead they took Apollos home and they said, Apollos, you're a great speaker. You're doing wonderful things, but you're missing one thing. Now I ask you, who's the hero? Apollos or Aquila and Priscilla? There again, I would, I would say that Aquila and Priscilla were somewhat the unsung heroes of Apollos' success. We need more of those kinds of people. May their numbers increase. Well, I'd like to just end on this note. It's quite clear how God called men in the Old Testament here in the account we read. It's pretty clear. God told Moses, you take Joshua. How about today? Well, there's one thing, as we mentioned before, God still works with men. I don't know why God cho- chooses to do that. It seems like it would be easier if he had chose to work with angels, you know, just send an angel down here and lead us around. But he didn't. He chose to work with men. And the other disadvantage we have is that I know you, but I don't know you. I, I, I can see you. I can somewhat make an, um, an assumption of who you are about what I observe. But I am not the God of all spirits. I don't know your heart. And I think it's interesting that God has laid this responsibility on the church, mere men, to ascertain his will, who should be overseers, elders in a congregation. I think this should make us keenly aware that God has to be a part of the process. We do have some very... Uh, vivid illustrations. Uh, two that we often think of in the New Testament is, is the uh, choosing of Matthias in Acts 1. We often refer to that. And we, all, we have the uh, illustration of the choosing of the deacons in Acts 6 and how the congregation was told to go out and choose among them men that uh, would fill this responsibility well. And I think Paul summarizes it very nicely in Acts 20, 28. When he's talking to the Ephesians, Ephesian elders there at that point, and this is what this verse says. It says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. Now, this is the phrase I want you to get. Over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Now, let's stop there for a minute and bring this all together. How did the Holy Ghost choose these people? 
did the Holy Ghost just come down and say, it's that person? Well, from what I can gather reading the book of Acts, it wasn't quite that simple. It was ascertained not a whole lot differently than what we will ascertain this weekend. But, but Paul says the Holy Ghost made these men overseers. Historically among Mennonites, the call to the ministry has varied very little since its inception about 500 years ago. There's been a few variations, and we won't talk about that, but it hasn't varied much. This is the process that has been taken for many, many years. And it's interesting to me, too, that in the beginning of um, the Anabaptist slash Mennonite church, the Reformers took great issue with uh, who were the leaders. And the reason they took great issue and criticized criticized these people was because they felt that the leaders of the Anabaptist church were not legitimate because they did not have state sanction. And in their disputations, they would bring this up over and over again. In fact, uh, Luther in 1522 wrote this flattering treatise, and he entitled it Concerning Sneaks and Hedge Breachers. Now, how's that for a title? It sure speaks of the attitude of the day. But here's what I find interesting. During these disputations, over over and over again, you will find that these leaders, preachers of the day, would tell these people, we're called of God. Well, how were they called of God? Again, it was ascertained by their respective congregations. Well, I'm going to close with that. I will say this. There would be other legitimate ways of ascertaining the Lord's will. And, and some people use those. But whatever the process is used, there's three things that have to come into place. Number one, the Lord absolutely has to be the focus. Absolutely. And I believe it, it is going to be of a tremendous help, and it is ex- essential if the brotherhood is spiritually perceptive. And number three, there has to be a willingness on the part of the brothers to, dis- to serve in whatever dimension they're called, whatever that will be. You know, you think of it this way. Everybody tonight will be called, or this weekend, will be called. That's, that's the way it is. The Lord will show us his will, and everybody has to see that as the calling. The work of the kingdom is important and eternal. Moses knew that. The New Testament leaders knew that. And all were concerned about their respective congregations and churches. And they were concerned that appropriate leadership was put in place. May the God of spirits in our time raise up men who are willing to serve their generation.